Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his goodness, for his faithfulness, for his mercy, for keeping you one more week, for giving you one more year, for giving you one more day. We can shout his praises. Hallelujah. Amen. We have a specialist in Christ Jesus, and he don't even charge a copay. He, he, you can go to him whenever you need him, 24 hours a day, around the clock, type care. Amen. Amen. Praise God for his care, for his love and his compassion, and for bringing us once again together to gather to praise his holy name. Amen. Amen. It's so good to see your beautiful faces this morning, Forest Baptist Church. Excited to be with you. And to all of our guests, we thank you for worshiping with us this morning. We pray that the Lord will indeed speak to your heart, that he will give you eyes to see and ears to hear just what the Lord has in store for you. Amen. And today is a special day as we set aside this day to honor mothers. And whether you have biological children, adopted children, or all things in between, you know how sometimes... They're not even your child, but sometimes they somehow they just find their way to your dinner table every day. You don't put clothes on their back. You don't pick them up from school, help with homework, all kind of stuff. They ain't even your child, but you a mother too today. Praise God. That's how we get down. But we also want to recognize on special days like this, it can be filled with all sorts of emotion. We also say, may God's grace, his care, his comfort, and his peace be sufficient for you, no matter what you may be wrestling with today. So if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the 15th chapter, and we'll begin with the 21st verse, Matthew, the 15th chapter. Beginning with the 21st verse. And as it has become a tradition, just remind us of what we are reading. Say, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to, withdrew to the district of Tyre, and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged, begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I will send only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And the Lord had a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. 
I'm going to place a tag on this text before us this morning. A mother's great faith in a great Savior. A mother's great faith in a great Savior. Let us look to our Lord and Savior in prayer this morning. Oh, gracious and eternal Father, we come so grateful, declaring not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. For you are faithful, you are kind, you are merciful and generous. Your hand of protection and provision is constantly upon us. Father, even this past week, you gave your angels charge over us as you kept us from danger seen and unseen. Oh Lord, how great is your faithfulness when we were not even thinking about you, you came and rescued us from darkness. You gave life to dead bones. You gave breath to dead hearts. And Father, this morning we just gathered together to corporately say thank you. Thank you for your goodness and thank you for your mercy. But thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, your son. For when you saw us in our greatest need, you specialized in sending the Savior. So, Father, we are grateful this morning, and we ask that you would send forth your Holy Spirit to superintend this worship. May we worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. May we worship you like we know you. May you remind us where we came from. May, may we look down over our life and, and consider just what you kept us from and brought us through, dear God. Father, may you put a new song and praise upon our lips this morning. May you speak to us through your most holy word. Father, help us understand that faith comes not from our power, but from your grace. So we ask that you would speak to us. And may you give us hearts to listen. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So though today is a celebration of motherhood, we recognize that today is also a celebration of grace. Because apart from God's grace, you wouldn't have made it this far. You wouldn't have accomplished all that you have accomplished. And you wouldn't have the things you have already. Apart from God's grace. So if there's anything that we can boast in, don't boast in yourself of how you did it, how you raised these children, how they made it out. But if you're going to boast in anything, boast in the fact that you know the Lord and you understand him. But since we know that it is only by grace that great mothers are created, so too grace creates faith. In days like we're in now, I don't know about you, but we need to have great faith. When the news ticker turns on and we're seeing just what is taking place in our world, we are in desperate need of great faith. The uncertainty and doubt that may creep in, we must have great faith to constantly remind us that God is in charge. He is in control and that he knows what he's doing. 
See, great faith doesn't come from great strength or even perfect obedience, but great faith comes from deep trust and dependence on Jesus. Great faith comes when we recognize that we're not all that and we're really not, uh, don't have much to offer Jesus. That's when great faith comes. Great faith just knows Jesus can fix it. You need only to be persistent in your pursuit of Jesus because faith grows when strengthened by his grace. See, so from this encounter that we see in the passage before us this morning, we see that great faith comes from great grace given by a great Savior. Great faith comes from great grace given by a great Savior. Let's look at the text here. Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is in desperate need of some R&R. He has been ministering in Galilee to some hard-hearted, hard-headed Pharisees, and he woe out. You know how it is dealing with difficult people, right? It just wears you out sometimes. You're like, how many times do I have to say it? I am the Christ, the one that has come to save your soul. Hmm. Well, Jesus shows another miracle. Well, I just turned uh, all this bread and multiplied this bread and the fish and fed everyone. I've walked on water. I've, I've done all of this, and you still need to sign hard-headed people. Sometimes that's Jesus speaking to us. We're like, Jesus, just, just show me yourself and I'll believe. Well, I paid that bill. I got you out of the bed. I helped you to your job. I put clothes on your back, food on your table. But just show me one more thing, Jesus. So Jesus is in desperate need of some R&R from some hard-headed folks. And he is, in Mark's account of this same passage, on his way to a vacation cabin in Gentile territory. He needs to get away. And just as he enters into his vacation cabin, there is a knock on the door. And what the disciples thought would be some quality getaway time, it becomes a lesson in the growth of great faith. What I want you to notice first in the text that is before us is that faith strengthening grace shows up where it's least expected. Look here, verses 21 through 22, Jesus uh, is accounted uh, by, the account here has him entering into this region. This is Gentile territory. He's leaving uh, the safety of Galilee and, and Jews and headed into Tyre and Sidon. This is not Jewish territory, this is unclean territory. These people would not uh, have any type of fellowship with the Jews. Jews would do nothing with them because if they were in, in, to encounter a Gentile, they would be deemed unclean in this area. But we see Jesus, as he crosses over into the border, it's nothing to him because Jesus will cross a border in order to get a mission done. The mission is bigger than any barrier that is set up by man. So when Jesus comes into this territory, he's crushing all those cultural expectations. And he says, I have an appointment here. I'm come to meet someone. Not only is this unclean territory, Jesus is not just going on for a weekend vacation. When we look at it, it's almost symbolically Jesus is invading satanic boundaries. 
when we hear the name Tyre and Sidon, we think back to the Old Testament and see how God would often punish Tyre because of their disobedience, because of their sin. This was a surrounding country of Galilee and the Jews. But most of all, what we see is this kingdom of Tyre and Ezekiel 28. It is likened to that of Satan and his fall because of their pride. In Ezekiel 28, the prophet, he, he, he likens the king of Tyre to Satan and how he failed because of his pride. And when we, when we look back at Tyre, this is a satanic region. It's full of opposition to the gospel, to God's people. So, in other words, what Jesus is doing, he is invading satanic boundaries with a mission of gospel invasion. He's coming with the gospel to a, a place that is hostile to the gospel, hostile to anything of God. And while behind enemy lines, Jesus encounters a woman. This is not an expected encounter from our point of view, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. As a matter of fact, this woman was one of only two people in the gospel of Matthew that, that are praised for their faith. And both people are Gentiles and not Jews. This is a Canaanite woman. Not the type of person one expects to be looking for Jesus. Why? Because Matthew specifically uses the fact that she is a Canaanite woman to show that she is an enemy of the gospel. The Canaanites have always been an enemy of Israel. They have always warred against Israel. They have always wanted to conquer Israel. So in Matthew's statement that she's a Canaanite woman, the first thing the Jews will recognize is that she's an enemy. Why would Jesus encounter an enemy? It's not expected. She's an outsider. She's not part of the covenant members. Uh, uh, she, she's not a covenant member of Israel. She, she doesn't have Jewish blood running and coursing through her veins. But she's an outsider. She's an outcast. She's not someone that would be expected to be looking for Jesus. Yet, yet she unexpectedly recognizes Jesus for who he is. What does she say? She says here in, in verse 22, she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Why is that a big deal? Now, for her to just say, Lord, it was matter of maybe protocol or, or respect, but the fact that she asked son of David, she knows that he is the Jewish Messiah. She knows more stuff than the religious leaders in Israel, more than the Pharisees and Sadducees, because she's willing to recognize Jesus for who he is. He is the Messiah. This is a confession of faith. This is unexpected. How did this Canaanite enemy outsider hear anything about Jesus? His reputation was so sweet, he, he didn't have to be in the region, and she was ready to come to faith in him. You know, sometimes your life needs to be so sweet that you ain't got to say nothing to people about Jesus. They just pick up Jesus from your life. We don't have to always be worried about, well, well, what I'm going to say if they ask me uh, the gospel, how can, do, I, do I give them the ABCs or do I show them Romans roll? Sometime before you even step in the cut, your life needs to reflect Jesus in such a way. They come up to you and just say, uh, who is your Jesus? 
would you please tell me something about it? See, but if your life ain't that reflective of Christ, there is a concern of what we're going to say. What I'm going to say to him, we was hanging out that same spot the other day. What I'm going to say, that's another, another sermon. She recognizes Jesus as this Jewish Messiah. He is the Savior who has come. But you know what? This, this Canaanite woman, it's not just an ordinary woman. She's a mother. And just like any mother, she has family issues. And you think you got family issues. She has family issues because she reports to Jesus that her daughter is not just oppressed by a demon. She, she is severely oppressed by a demon. And when we read texts like this, we, we think, oh, well, she's at home and her head spinning around. She's throwing up stuff. But one thing we do know, oppression is not pretty. At every step, at every moment, she is in opposition to her mother. Because Satan doesn't want anyone to obey their mother or father. Why? Because God said it was good. And anything that God has said is good, Satan is going to oppose it. So that fifth commandment, honor your mother and father for your days will be long in the earth. It, this is not happening in her home. And she knows that from, from uh, the tendencies of her daughter, this is not just ordinary stubbornness. We know how stubbornness and, and hard-headedness is, but this is something more. Something's going on. This is demonic oppression. Can you imagine day after day with a, a child who is severely oppressed with a demon? The things the demon is causing her to do. She's not herself. She's running headlong into sin and harm's way. She's trying to, to kill herself and kill everyone around her because Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. Wherever there is life, this daughter comes to suck it away. Wherever there is hope, this daughter has come to tear it down. Wherever there's anything positive going on, this daughter would come and tear it up. Even when we look at our own lives and our own children and our own behavior, there's, there's sometimes that we, we can begin to act like Satan's minions because we come into a situation that has so much life and hope and we suck it away. Because of sinfulness and selfishness, we want our way and not God's way. We're not too far off from satanic oppression because we want what we want. But imagine this mother dealing with this. And even when we look at a passage like this, this should show us the reality of satanic activity in your home. You think, you think that you just got a hard-headed child? Don't you recognize that Satan is the king of, of, of this world? He's ruling everything. The media, the songs, the TV, the internet, everything that's geared towards your child 
It's for satanic oppression. Everything that we're viewing on TV is, is geared toward disobedience and defilement. We're just, not out, we're just not watching TV shows just to be watching TV shows. Satan has an agenda. And he wants to take you out and your family out. So just because your child is, uh, is not throwing up green stuff and heads spinning around, they are under satanic oppression. And sometimes we help them out by letting them do what they want to do anyway. This mother's looking for life. She's looking for help. She's looking for hope. And she hears about this man from Galilee named Jesus. She hears he's about to go on a scenic vacation in her city, and she comes looking for him straight to his door. Though in the depth of despair, this mother knows that Jesus can fix my family. I done been to every doctor. I done been to every priest. I done did everything that I could do. I can't do anything, but all I know is that if it's true what I hear about this Jesus, then I know he can fix it. See, family, great faith is birthed out of a great need for mercy. You don't even realize you need faith unless you understand you need mercy. See, mercy is a realization that you can't do it and you can't fix it. Mercy. There's certain words in, that are said that I, some words I just can't stand. And I, and I really dislike the word, I can't. That I, I can't. I, 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 I dislike that phrase so much. You're trying to encourage someone to do things well. You're trying to be optimistic and edify and lift up. You tell someone to do something, I, I can't. You haven't even tried. I can't. And I, and I think about that often, but you know what? As I've gotten older, I realize there are some things that I just can't do. And it's in our finitude, our our finite strength, there's just some things you just can't do. Those sleepless nights you have because of a wayward son or daughter just can't change them. You just can't change your husband or your wife. You can't control them. You can't control your boss. You can't control your teachers. Your principal, you can't control your friend. That leads to arguments and that leads to anger and frustration because we don't want to say we can't, but we can't have mercy until we recognize we can't. I can't control them, and I can't make them. All I can say is have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on this situation. Mercy is a reach beyond yourself. Because mercy says, I'm not strong enough. 
I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. Mercy is a reaction of humility. And we can respond two ways, one or two ways. When you're in, in a difficult situation, you can respond with hope through faith in Christ. Or you can respond with hopelessness in yourself. God is calling us to respond by faith in Christ, not because we are anything or, or we have strength or we are wise, just because he is who he is. So we cry out for mercy. This mother is pursuing mercy, and in her pursuit for mercy, she hears wind of Jesus, which gives birth to her faith. She recognizes that she can't do it. She can't make it happen. She can't heal her daughter. Mercy leads to faith. But not only do we see that faith strengthening grace shows up where it's least expected, we also see that faith strengthening grace accomplishes the least expected. In verses 20, 23 through 28, the rest of the story plays out, and we see immediately after she unfolds for Jesus what's going on in her home, her, her family issues, what, what, what do the disciples do? Everything else has been unexpected. The disciples do exactly what's expected. She comes in, they're like, oh, no, Jesus, we, we, we supposed to be away for like two weeks on vacation. We've been ministering. We're not supposed to have phone calls and knocks at the door. And the disciples begin to overlook this woman. Send her away, Jesus. Send her away. She's disturbing us. Jesus, we're trying to get it in in church with you. She a distraction. Not thinking that here's a, a Gentile pressing in more than they are. Send her away, Jesus. But what does Jesus do in this whole situation? Jesus takes the faith that she already has and begins to strengthen, it, uh, strengthen her by stretching her faith. He strengthens, he, he strengthens her by stretching her. What does he do? She's talking to Jesus, but the text says, but he did not answer her a word. Jesus makes her wait. Oh, Lord, Jesus, make us wait? She's in a terrible, tragic situation, and Jesus has the audacity to make her wait? Don't Jesus know what she's been going through? Don't Jesus know what she's been suffering? But Jesus makes her way. Why is Jesus making her way? Because he wants to strengthen her faith. And we look at this text. Put yourself in this text. How would you have responded? You talking to Jesus and he ain't even, he ain't even recognize you. Like you ain't even there. Don't, no, don't, don't front like you'll be all holy. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, for disturbing you. You're like, Jesus, didn't you hear me? I'm talking to you. Don't disrespect me. We would respond with impatience. How do I know? Because we're impatient with Jesus now. 
We asking Jesus for this and for that, and when he don't show up, when we want him to show up, we get mad at Jesus and be like, I'm done. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to stop reading my Bible because he don't answer prayers. But maybe Jesus wants you to wait so he can strengthen your faith. Jesus doesn't answer her. Then, and then Jesus has the nerve to call her out. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Who are you talking to? Like, you talking to me? What? About to jump on Jesus. Dog? Who are you calling a dog? This is a metaphorical statement that Jesus is using. When he's saying dogs, the literal in the Greek is a little dog, more of like a house dog. But still, this, this is a humiliating label for those apart, apart from our enemies of Israel, the covenant community. What is, what is Jesus doing? He, one, he's trying to show her that there's a priority of the gospel. The gospel needed to come to the children of Israel first, and then it would spread out. He's trying to show her that. But then also he's trying to show her something about herself. That but before she can have great faith, she has to understand just who she is. She has to realize that she is lowly and undeserving. She has to realize that, that, that she brings nothing to the table. When, when Jesus came to rescue sinners, it wasn't because they were so sweet. It was because they were so lost. He wants her to understand her place in salvation history. You know, I, I think we, when we see a text like this, we, we have such a, a hard time with Jesus using this analogy because really we won't triumph without trials. We want him to be able to overcome without having to overcome anything. We want to be able to say we have strong faith without having to endure anything. And Jesus is saying, look, before you come to me, you need to recognize just who you are. You got to go through something to understand what you're about to receive. Beloved, faith doesn't grow unless you recognize who you are. If you come to Jesus with this facade that's so religious and so pious and and, and that you don't see, if you come to Jesus with that type of posture, your faith is going to stay where it is. Because my faith is not in the power of grace or power of the cross. My faith is in the power of my strength. My faith becomes, uh, uh, is empowered by my church attendance. My faith is empowered by the things that I can do to say that I'm holy. Not, uh, not allowing Jesus to apply his grace to my life. Faith doesn't grow unless you remember where you're from. He says you a dog. That would have been a, a, a common term used for Gentiles by Jews. He said, you, you, you a Canaanite, you a Gentile. You know where you're from? But by her understanding that she used to be an enemy to God, when God gives her grace, her faith will be strong. Before you can have great faith, you got to remember where you're from. Don't forget how you used to be. Just because God done delivered you from a few things, 
not a whole lot of things because we still know you got a tempered attitude and bitterness, but just because he delivered you from a few things, don't forget where you come from. Don't forget how you used to be on the block. Don't forget how you used to be with the boss. Don't forget how you used to be with your spouse. Don't forget where you come from because God uses where you come from as testimony to his goodness. How would you have responded to Jesus? This, this is the very reason why some of us in here today haven't trust Jesus right now. Because Jesus has the audacity to point out your sin. And we just ain't dealing with somebody who's going to point out our sin. We'll never be humble enough because we want to say that everything I'm doing is right. But Jesus wants us to know that it's because of your brokenness that I will use you. It's because of your, your lowliness. It, that's why I will use you. Not because of anything you bring to the table. So in Jesus working with this woman, this mother, strengthening her faith through their discussion, Jesus actually wants to accomplish something in this woman's heart. He wants to transform her suffering into service. He wants to take that, that, that issue that she's been with and use the comfort that she's received for Jesus so she can comfort somebody else. Don't, don't you know that your struggle ain't just for you? Your struggle ain't just for you to get through. Your struggle so God will use you to be a blessing to somebody else's life. He wants to use her suffering for service. And Jesus doesn't just want to fix her situation. He wants to rescue her soul. He wants her to come to a deep, abiding dependence and trust on him. That's what's going on in the text right here. So she hears this from Jesus, this analogy, this metaphorical statement of dog. And the, how does she respond? Does she respond with frustration? Does she respond with, with, with an attitude to Jesus? No, nah, she goes right with it. Yes, Jesus, I know my place. Yes, Jesus, I don't deserve to be in your face right now. Yes, Jesus, I'm a Gentile trying to holler at you. Yes, Jesus. I have a satanic, oppressed daughter at home. Yes, Jesus. I'm crying out for mercy. I don't know what to do. Yes, Jesus. I'm broken, and my heart is hurting for my child. Yes, Jesus. Uh, it is how you say it is. I'm lowly and deserving of nothing. But, but, but Jesus, I know your, your blessing is so abundant that the table can't hold it off. Even the dogs get the crumbs. Jesus, you're so good. I know something's going to roll off the table. Jesus, you're so good that our hands can't contain everything you want to do with us. I know something's going to fall on me. She can only do this because she understands her place and she understands his preeminence. She knows who Jesus is. Beloved, only grace can allow you to embrace brokenness. Only grace can do that. In our, in our society, if you present any weakness, people will look down on you. 
But Jesus said that his power is perfected in weakness. So when you are weak, you are actually strong. Because it's not your power, but the power of Christ is going to rest on your life. We, we are in these situations of life. We're trying to handle our own. And Jesus said, would you let it go? Would you get out of the way? You're trying to fix it, and you keep messing it up. Get out of the way. Depend upon me. I'm going to put my power on you. You will have the strength to accomplish that which I set before you. We're prideful. We're defensive. Somebody say anything about us. We, well, no, wait, no, hold on. Grace allows you to keep your mouth shut. Because grace says, I ain't got to defend myself because Jesus is my, is my defender. As a matter of fact, grace allows you to defend yourself because you know what they say to be. It's true. I am a, a fool. I am foul. I am dirty. I am grimy. But grace says that I've been delivered from that because of the blood of Jesus. We always want to show a good face. But great faith can't grow when we're trying to show a good faith. When we're trying to show a good faith. You know, I'm not a, I can fix stuff. I'm not, I'm not a handyman. I mean, if I wanted to be a handyman, I could be a handyman. But I don't fix much stuff. But I do know that sometimes in order to put two pieces of smooth metal or wood together, you have to glue them together. And before you glue them together, sometimes you have to sand them down. And you sand it down because it's smooth. And if you don't scuff it up a little bit, the glue won't stick. So you begin to scuff it up some. And then you put the glue on it. And then you begin to stick those two once, those two pieces that were once separate on top of each other. And the glue holds because it's a rough surface. Beloved, when it comes to our Christian walk, uh, grace can't be applied to a smooth life. Grace is, it can only stick to a rough place. Grace can only stick to a rough surface. So if we think we're actually more than what we are, the grace can't stick to our life. But when I know I'm broken, when I know I don't offer nothing to Jesus, when I, when I know I got issues and my family got issues and their issues got issues, when I know that, grace can be applied to my life. When you rough around the edges, you are an excellent, excellent candidate for grace. God can do something with your rough edges. Matter of fact, he wants to do something with your rough edges. And it's not just for your good, it's for his glory. This mother's persistence pays off, though. Jesus recognizes her faith. All throughout their conversation, he's been strengthening her faith, strengthening her faith. And she's able to endure his, his, his seemingly to, to put her off. He's She's able to endure that, and as she's able to endure that, she responds in humility to Jesus, and Jesus says, that's it. You got it. And what does he say? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Her faith was high because her need was deep. She had great faith because she knew she needed great grace. From her faith, we see here at the end of the passage that her daughter is healed. 
Jesus says, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Why, why could he heal her daughter? Because he knew that she wouldn't try to take the credit. He knew that she would point back to the Savior that just gave her grace. And all glory would be to him. No one expected this child to get better. And we don't know how long this mother dealt with this issue. We don't know how old this child is. We don't know how long she's been searching for Jesus. We don't know what's going on. Because it would be easy to look at this text and say, well, once you go to Jesus, it'll be fixed. We don't know how long she's been chasing Jesus. And you might be trying to chase Jesus today. You're trying to figure out when you're going to show up. We don't have a timeline, but all we do know is that when we, uh, when we search for Jesus, he will apply grace. But see this. Mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, grandparents. It was her trust in Jesus that transformed her household. It was her pressing into Jesus that changed the situation. Sometimes we're so busy trying to change everybody else, we're not changing ourselves. Jesus wants to use your home. He wants to use that heartache. He wants to use that drama to press you into him in order that he will use you to bring change to your entire family. You think your husband the problem? You think your wife the problem? You the problem. Jesus wants to do something with you. And then through you, he can bless. But what, is it, what does it say about Jesus? The Christ. To the disciples, it looked like he was just trying to get away. But he know he had a divine appointment to apply grace to an outsider, to an enemy, to someone that no one expected to be looking for him. What kind, what kind of Savior goes somewhere he wasn't expected to be? Ah. What kind of Savior, instead of taking a vacation, goes to work? What kind of Savior is willing to take his time to deliver someone who ain't even thinking about him? What kind of Savior does this? From the Gospels, we see that Savior is Jesus. Because the text tells us that he didn't consider uh, uh, equality with God to be, to, uh, uh, to be robbed of it, to come down. He, he, it wasn't a big deal to condescend. It wasn't a big deal to come down and give up all his glory in order to save sinners such as ourselves. It wasn't a big deal to be born of a virgin, the one who has always existed. It wasn't a big deal to live a sinless life that he may be the propitiation for our sins, the substitute for our sins. That's the type of Savior we serve, Jesus. It wasn't a big deal for him to take lashes on his back that should have been on your back. It wasn't a big deal for him to be stretched high and stretched wide to suffer the wrath of God himself in order that we may be set free. And it wasn't a big deal for him to get up on the third day with all power in his hand. That's what type of Savior we serve. Faith strengthens. Faith strengthening grace accomplishes the least expected. 
When everyone around you is expecting you to fail, expecting you to fall, press into Jesus. But you know what? Faith is predicated on Jesus' presence in your life. See, faith in Jesus' presence is similar to power and prayer. You know what they say about power and prayer? No prayer equals no power. Little prayer equals little power, and much prayer equals much power. You know what? If, if there's no Jesus in your life, there's no faith. If there's some Jesus in your life, there may be some faith. But if there's much Jesus in your life, there's much faith. Faith reveals your proximity to Jesus. So what do we do? We, we put off passivity. We don't wait for Jesus to show up at our house. We show up at his door. And we press in. We put on activity. We don't just work harder. We just show up where we know Jesus is going to be. He's coming. He's here. Press into him. See, in this text before us, faith shows up in a place where it wasn't supposed to be. And we often find ourselves in places where we're not supposed to be. Thinking things we're not supposed to be thinking. Doing things we're not supposed to be doing. And just like this Canaanite mother, we're enemies of God. But Jesus is willing to cross borders to invade enemy territory in order to get the gospel to you. For faith shows up because Jesus is present, not because we're strong. And Jesus is here today. What keeps you from responding by faith to his invitation? See, Jesus is a great savior because it's Jesus who offers a great grace. And this mother say, this is a mother, a mother's great faith and a great savior. So as God is dealing with us, be persistent in your pursuit of Jesus. Because faith grows when strengthened by his grace and his grace alone. Great faith comes from great grace given by a great savior. Let us pray.